0: All right, we're live. We welcome everybody that's uh, watching us today. Those of you that'll get this podcast and, uh, or come back to this video, we welcome you. We're going to continue our study in Exodus chapter, uh, the book of Exodus. We're going to pick up in chapter 29, verse 10, and we're going to pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your love. We thank you. That your plan is coming to pass and that every all the pieces to the puzzle are getting put in place. And we're excited, Lord, because we know you're going to wrap this thing up. And uh, we just praise you, Lord, for who you are, what you do. We ask you to empower us and lead us so that we don't uh, make decisions outside of your will. Give us direction. Let us learn of you again here today, Lord, as we study uh, May we be more uh, in love with you and more like you when we leave here. In Jesus' name, amen. So in chapter 29 here, uh, I want you to see the sacrifice and the price. I want you to see Jesus' picture of Christ as we finish the rest of this chapter. And then in chapter 30, if we get to that point, uh, because I need to take you a couple places in the New Testament here uh, with 29, but... Uh, just see the sacrifice. In verse 10 it says, you, you shall also have the bull brought before the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. You shall kill uh, the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull, put it on the horns of the altar uh, with your finger, and pour all the blood beside uh, beside the base of the altar. So the horns of the altar uh, represent power and strength, but they point in all four directions, the north, south, east, and the west. So it's also a picture of salvations for everybody, this blood being sprinkled there. Uh, and then he says, but the flesh, uh, well, after you take it, put it on the altar, beside the altar, he said, and you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys, of fat that is on them, burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull with its skin and its offal, you shall burn uh, with outside the camp. It is a sin offering. So there's a separation here between the inside and the outside of this animal. Which is a picture of what goes on in us, right? It's this outward man's perishing. Right. This this old man, this flesh, this natural person is gonna either get raptured, which that's what we're looking for, and I believe we're close, and I believe I believe we're so close there's a good chance all of us will be alive. But um if we live normal lives. But or death. Death uh none of us have the promise of tomorrow, we understand that. So but there's a separation between the inner and the outer. No flesh, he said, in the New Testament, will glory in my presence. So this flesh and all the outsides taken outside the camp. It's what's on the inside that's brought as the offering. Uh, and in fact, for us to uh, live forever, we're going to get a new body, right? How many's looking forward to that? <laughs> uh, we're going to get a new body and all that. And so we'll need a glorified body and a body that's not... Uh, not only eternal, but a new body that's not been subject to sin. Right? You're going to get a new body. And those of us, if we're alive, will be changed. Our body will be go through a metamorphosis. We'll be changed in the moment of the twinkling of an eye. So the Lord, there's a separation here to distinguish between the importance of the inside and the decay of the outside. And he says, you shall also take one ram and Aaron on his, and his son shall put their hands on the head of the ram. You shall kill the ram. You shall take its blood, sprinkle it around the altar. Then you shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails, its legs, put them with the pieces with its head and you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burn offering to the Lord it is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire. Now this particular sacrifice, everything was burned on the altar. Why? Because it represents Christ. Everything about him was pure. He didn't have any sin. He was perfect. So you see pictures of us. You see pictures of the Messiah. And you see the results of sin. You see the what has to happen. Everything <clears throat> as we go through here. He says, you shall also take the other ram. Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of, that ram, of the ram. You shall kill the ram and some of the blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron. On the tip of the right hand ear of his sons. On the thumb of his right hand, on the big toe of their right foot, sprinkle the blood all around the altar. You shall take some of the blood that is on the altar, some of the anointing oil, and sprinkle it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, and the garments, and the sons with him. And he, is, and, he, he and his garments shall be hallowed, and his sons and his sons' garments with him. So there's a separation now. We're taking this priesthood, this priesthood line, we're separating them sprinkling them cleansing them but also sanctifying them or setting them apart and that's basically what needs to happen to all of us God comes in with washes us clean and then he sets us apart now the church has went through all kinds of shifts and because of that it's left a lot of confusion but we cannot seem to find that balance uh and that's why I believe God's raised up a lot of churches like ours. People, all of us grew up probably with a, a denominational slant or something. Or if you grew up as a heathen and you didn't go, you're probably better off than everybody else because you didn't have any preconceived ideas, you know. But, but uh, so we come into that and and we have this struggle about where the balance is in honoring God and not getting caught up in what I would call legalism or religion, right? And so we just, we seem like we swing that pendulum back and forth and cannot get it right. But over time, what happened was, is men lost sight of relationship and they became religious. They didn't really have, a lot of people didn't, uh, even, and it's still true today, people didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus where they had personal conviction they had personal relational time with the lord between him and them in their homes or wherever it was more about duty i'm gonna i'm gonna go do this ritual i'm gonna do this ritual and that really took a hold of the church it really got a hold of the catholic church it got a hold eventually it got a hold of the early protestant church and and so then we said okay well that's not really what god's after and you'll see that here in just a minute he'll prove that to us He's, uh, uh, he said, sacrifice and offering I didn't desire, I wanted a clean heart, right? That's why he, he was after our heart. Again, back to that sacrifice, that inside part. But so we, we, we recognize that, and a lot of people were turned off to that. So we said, okay, well, let's get that pendulum and swing it back, right? So we swing it back, and we get way over here. And now we got a church in our world that's full of people living like the world and not honoring God. So it's like we go, okay, that religion stuff, that's too legalistic. That really don't have nothing to do with the relationship. And so we say, oh, we better get back here. But instead of swinging and staying in the middle and saying, okay, we understand there are some obligations, but we understand that God wants our heart. Personal, we get over here, and now you got people who go to church and live like hell. That's as plain as I can put it. They live exactly like hell teaches or like hell wants them to, and try to hang out in the church. They, they straddle the fence, I guess we would say it, one foot in, one foot out. So we've had a struggle with that. And that if you'll notice, that's what's happened in our country. We've had a lot of churches like ours that's become a melting pot of people who said, I want to honor God, I want to love him, I want a true relationship with him. I don't want to get caught up in religion but i know living like the world ain't right either so that's what we want to find here you know and that's what we want to find personally that's what we want to find i don't i don't it ain't no fun living under the thumb of religion i mean that's horrid but there ain't no salvation in running with the world either and so we got to we got to find the balance of where god's called us to be so then he says, uh, <clears throat> "These uh, he's bringing the garments, all these guys are being, so they're being sprinkled with the blood and then they're being set apart. That's salvation to you and I. We are all kings and priests according to the New Testament. You shall take the fat of the ram, in verse 22, the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat on them, the right thigh, for it is the ram of consecration, one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, one wafer, from the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. You shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. You shall receive them back from their hands, burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire to the Lord. So the idea behind Christianity is that if we, Paul said, I wish men everywhere would lift up holy hands, right? Without wrath and without doubt. That's what he said in the New Testament. So as we lift up holy hands, our, that's symbolic of us taking our own lives and waving them before the Lord. It, it, when God gets a hold of somebody's entire life, when when they're totally consecrated to him, everything else, it does, it's not a hardship to write a check out of the checkbook then. Well, if God owns you, you love him. You understand everything you have has come from his hand. But that's the design. That's the desire that God has your life. Not just on Sunday. Not just when something religious is going on. But he owns your whole life. When, that ha- when you give yourself. to notice, notice even people who are deceived do the same thing. They will give themselves to a false religion or to a cause. And they cannot give enough to that. Well, that's the same design behind Christianity. When you fall in love with Jesus, anything he asks is not too much. And so, and he's he's a good God. The Lord don't, he don't drive us like slaves. He calls us his children. But anything God asks of us is not too much because we're we're in this relationship. We've given him our whole lives. So they waived this. It says, And the holy garments of Aaron shall shall be his sons after him, to be anointed in them and consecrated in them, that the son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days, and he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister in the holy place. So these are people coming before the Lord. Now, in the New Testament, the veils rent, so we all have access to conduct ourselves before the Lord. Like the priests, and you shall take the ram of the consecration and the bullets flesh in the holy place. Then Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle meeting. They shall eat those things which, uh, with which the atonement was made to consecrate and sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the consecration offerings or of the bread remains until the morning... Then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. So God distinguishing between the holy bread. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them. You shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering for atonement. You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it. And you shall anoint it and sanctify it. Seven days you shall make atonement. For the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. So, as they're getting this tabernacle together, and that's what they're doing, they're getting the priesthood together, they're getting the tabernacle up and running, they're consecrating everything, they're setting it apart, and we're seeing the atonement of this is a picture of what Jesus is doing for us or going to do for us. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually, one lamb. You shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With one lamb shall be one tenth of an ephah flour mixed with one fourth of a hin of pressed oil, and one fourth of a hin of wine as a drink offering. And and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer it uh, with, in the grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning for a sweet aroma an offering made by fire to the Lord. This you. Sh- continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord where I will meet you to speak with you and there I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate the priests or excuse me both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. I will Dwell among the children of Israel and be their God and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So they're setting this place of meeting up, getting the priests ready to minister to God and to the people and everybody's going to be blessed because God is basically saying, I'm going to be in your midst. Now, that was a type and shadow of what was to come. Now, as I've said this before, we're going to go to, uh, let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to show you something here that will kind of open this up to us in the New Testament. So, this Christ now in the New Testament has come to offer us eternal life. And so, now... The glory of God is in us. It's not just resting on a building or in a tabernacle. The glory of God is in us and with us personally. So he said to the disciples, he said, the Holy Spirit is with you, but he shall be in you. That's the dispensation that changed the court when what happened in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit came and his full. Uh, horrible teaching people say the Holy Spirit wasn't here. Before that, because Acts says that the Holy Spirit was the one that was speaking through Isaiah. The Holy Spirit's always been here. He was here when creation started. Uh, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. What ha- And Jesus said that before the Holy Spirit even came in the book of Acts. He told his followers, he said, the Spirit is with you, but he's going to be in you. And that was the transition. It wasn't... That's bad teaching, people that say the Holy Spirit didn't show up till the book of Acts. That's horrible teaching is what that is. The Holy Spirit's always been here. He's part of the Godhead. He he moved in Ezekiel. He moved in Isaiah. He moved with Moses and on and on and on. But there was a change, and it was and I, I've tried to explain this uh over the years, and I feel like the Holy Spirit gave me the best example. It's like a child who comes home from school and goes down the road and, and borrows a bicycle and rides it for an hour and enjoys that for a moment and then goes back home bicyclist. Or uh, That's not the right way to say it. Uh, without a bicycle. <laughs> uh, so they don't really own the bicycle. They don't have the bicycle, but they have access to the bicycle. And it's a pleasure to them and a benefit to them. Then one day, they, the little girl comes home, goes down the street, and she's going to ride the bicycle that somebody's going to allow her. And that day, the owner of the bicycle says, You know what? Today, you can have the bicycle. You can take it home. It's yours. And that's what happened with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was available to people. They had access to Him. David talks about Him in the Psalms. But now... The Holy Spirit's going home with us. He's inside of us. So this glory that God said, I'm going to be right down there with you all in Exodus 29. The shift came because, now, and it doesn't, and there's some people, again, we got people who get extreme with everything. There's some people that are in a situation where they, uh, the church is not, not important. The church is important. Jesus died for the church. But there now you have the Holy Spirit. You have that access in your home. You don't have to go to a building to have access to the Holy Spirit. You, In fact, you can live off the land and be out there in the woods somewhere hanging out in a tree and still have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So, his, But all these are types and shadows. But well, let me take you to Hebrews 10, and I believe it will show you how this opens up to us as Christians, what we just read. He says... For the law having a shadow of good things to come, in and, and, and verse 1 of, of Hebrews 10, for the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, and he said that, right? We just read how he said these things are going to go on year by year. Make those who approach perfect. So they couldn't complete us. It could not give us the kind of standing we need before God. Uh, what happened in the Old Testament and the New Testament can be described this way. And I, again, I believe the Holy Spirit taught me this. I grew up on a creek in a holler. And it was a big creek, actually. This creek's wide and it's big for a creek. It, it's wider than a lot of rivers I see. It's just a big creek And the Indians named it years ago. It's called Yellow Creek. And and so I grew up on that creek and we had floods pretty regularly when I was growing up. In fact, in 1977, we had a flood that wiped out several cities. Actually, the city where we have our satellite was wiped out. Uh, And so you would watch those floods come. And when those floods come, they would pick up all the trash, you know, all over the banks and they would Clorox jugs, milk jugs, basketballs, footballs, old swimming pools, whatever. And, and they would pick that stuff up and wash it downstream and, and get it away from where it was at. But if you went downstream far enough, you would find all that stuff again, right? When the water receded, you would find it piled up on another shore or behind a log somewhere. It didn't do away with it. It just washed it down the stream. That's the Old Testament. The Old Testament sacrifices just took the sin away from the people And took it down away from them, but it didn't consume it. The New Testament's like a fire. When our sins now, because of Christ, it's like taking all those milk jugs and those basketballs and trash and burning it up and it being gone. So that's the difference between the law, what the law was trying to do, and what Christ has come to do. The law couldn't make us perfect. It couldn't do the job. And I go back to this little video clip that we got on our YouTube channel about x-ray. The the law just exposed the problem. It couldn't fix it. It took the blood of Jesus to fix it. So he says. He says, they can it cannot make us perfect or complete. For then uh, they would not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers once purified would have no more conscience of sins. But they're reminded of them right over and over. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. So. What you might say is, well, that beach is clean, but you go downstream and you say, well, that one's filthy because all the stuff that was up here got deposited down there. It didn't get done away with. Uh, that's the law, right? But in, in our case, being believers in the new covenant, we've, our sins have been consumed. And that was foreshadowed by that one sacrifice. Remember that? All of our sin was laid on him. He died for us that sacrifice, the, the whole, the flesh, the everything was consumed because he was a perfect sacrifice. He was the perfect lamb. And so all that was consumed. And that's good news. I, I I mean, I know a lot of people, and you know how I feel about the word, and I know you all do that too. You wouldn't be here on a Thursday. But every part of God's word is true. And Exodus, some of the stuff is hard to tread through, but there's so much... Power and beauty in what God has been showing us, getting us ready to see his son. That's why it was such a tragedy for the nation as a whole, Israel, to reject the Lord. Israel's got all kinds of problems, and those can stem all the way back. And, and you know, I'm a fair-minded guy, so i got to say it. And people, I, I can get both... I'm, I'm, I'm so fair, I'll get both sides mad at me for it. <laughs> but... The, Some of my Jewish friends, they're in that shape because they rejected their Messiah. (laughs) Nothing good comes out of turning away from Jesus. I tell that to every Gentile and every Jew I know. You turn your back on Jesus, nothing good's going to come out of that. Nothing. And so we know how this is going to end. We know God's going to step in, open their eyes and all that. That's all good news. But the whole, pro, the whole reason we're in the mess we're in around this globe is because of S-I-N, sin. Not because we don't have enough money. Not because we've not got good politics. It's because of sin. That's what's killing this world. And that's why Paul said, even nature is groaning for redemption. You ever get up in the morning and hear your dog howling? It's probably saying, get me out of here, get me out. Sometimes my big old Himalayan cat Sounds like he's dying you ever, Sometimes cats can make sounds that are pleasant Sometimes they sound horrible And I'm thinking You're as sick of this place as we are, aren't you? Uh, so even nature itself is groaning for redemption He <laughs> says so it couldn't wash away, that, the law couldn't do what the blood of Christ could do. And I, but I'm so thankful. God was just saying, guys, I'm setting you up. Sh- this is what's going to happen for you and my son. I'm going to give you my son. I'm going to tell you right now, then a person that's ever walked the earth that deserved his son. All of us were like sheep going astray. All of our righteousness, filthy rags, there was none good, no, not one. And God loved us enough to say, I'm going to give you opportunity right here. And the only way you can do that is to come through my son. And Mohammed is not the way. Buddha is not the way. Confucius is not the way. Jesus is the way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So he says, it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats would take away sins. Amen to that. Verse 5 says, therefore... When he came into the world he said sacrifice and offering you did not desire but a body you have prepared for me. This is Christ. That's why his whole sacrifice could be consumed. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. See that? Then I said behold I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will. So all that stuff was about him. And in and, and, and relation to us. That's why I tell you, Genesis 1, right off the bat, starts talking about salvation. The earth was without form and void. The earth was without form and void. Darkness covered it. Then the spirit moved and light came. That's salvation. All of us are without form. We're void inside. We don't know it all the time. Darkness covers our lives. Then the spirit moves, open our eyes, and here comes the light, which is Jesus. But it takes the spirit to do that, right? The spirit draws and all that works. And that's, so God just shows us salvation in chapter one, right off the bat. This, he's setting us up. He's setting us up to see his son and the beauty of his son. He says, as written to me previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, which is what we were reading about, and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that, will we, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering and the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So all your sins, you've given them to the Lord, they're gone. They've been consumed. They've been devoured. They've been burned up like that offering they're gone. Sometimes I'll have somebody over the years, I'll come in my office and they've lived a horrible life. And I've heard everything twice. (laughs) And you can't, when they're sitting across from your desk and they tell you something that's outlandish, you can't fall off your chair and fall on the floor and act like it. (laughs) I mean, it's real, right? Life's real. And they say to me, sometimes people will say to me, Thinking about all the bad things they've done, and some of them are pretty bad, uh, they'll say, "Well, what's the Lord going to say to me when He sees me someday?" I said, "He's going to say, "I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> because He's cast your sins as far as the East is, from the West." Right? That's the beauty. If people miss salvation, they miss the greatest thing in the world. That's tragic, isn't it? That's what's tragic trying to go stand before the Lord and explain yourself, that that ain't going to happen. <laughs> like I said last night, there's nobody's getting by with anything. The only way to get by with things, and this is probably not the right way to say it, is to give them to Jesus, get them under the blood. They're gone then, and you're not really getting by with them. He took the sin from you, right? He carried it away. But if you think, if then I think there's a population out there in the world that has a little bit of, Knowledge of who God is. That thinks they're going to get up there and reason with God. That ain't going to happen. All he's going to say is, why did you reject my son? Why did you not repent? Why did you not come to me and acknowledge who you are and who I am and turn? Why didn't you turn? Nobody gets merits for getting ducks out of a mud puddle. Or even feeding people in the soup line. Now, that may be something God's given you to do as part of your journey, but that's not how you get to heaven. You don't get to heaven by feeding people soup. You get to heaven by repenting and asking Jesus to be the Lord of your life. That's how we get to heaven. There's a been heavy price paid here. He says, Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. It just washes them them milk jugs and Clorox jugs down the stream. It don't do away with them. But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's an interesting statement. I talked a little bit about sanctification last night. You get made righteous. Let me. I'm gonna get out of the purview of the camera, maybe for a second here. Um, I'll be back if you are looking for me on the on the YouTube channel. I'm back. <laughs> Most of you've seen this, but uh, we have a wide audience now, and so I want to make sure everybody understands. When you get saved, redeemed, born again, however you want to say that. You get clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Not your righteousness, his. Why? Because you believed. You had faith, you believed. Now, your journey is about sanctification, right? So you don't start off perfect in action. You start off perfect in position, right? Your position now overrides your condition. It's good news, the gospel. But this journey that I'm on is about me being sanctified or becoming more like Christ, becoming set apart. John said, he must increase, I must decrease. That's all of us should say the same thing. So as I walk with God, this righteousness that's imputed to me because I believe, not because I earned it, just I believe. Now, this same righteousness that's been imputed to me, and Paul talks about this in Romans. He talk, sometimes he talks about imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness, right? So this imputed righteousness that's been credited to me because of what he's done, and I believed in what he's done and who he is, and I've accepted that in my life. Now I'm saved, born again, redeemed. He, now this sanctification process starts in my life, and this righteousness begins to be imparted into my life this imputed righteousness is now working its way through the fabric of who I am so that not only am I clothed with righteousness but I'm being filled with righteousness and that's the sanctification right hopefully if you've been serving God 10 years 20 years 30 years hopefully you've improved in some stuff over time right you've gotten closer to God you've started because here's the problem we've all got slants whether we like to believe it or not, and we see we don't all see every, we don't get saved and see everything like God sees it. He takes us on a journey to get us to where that happens in our life, and we start saying, "Oh, I see." And like I was talking about last night, when that light comes in and exposes more of who we are, and this is one of the most frustrating things for any of us is to see what's wrong and could help somebody, but they can't see it, and and until they can see it, they're not going to cooperate. Well, we're the same way. We got stuff in us. None of us in this room are perfected. And we got stuff in us. And because we got stuff in us, God takes us into situations to reveal us to us. Because God can't get us to cooperate until we can see what he sees. Then we, God turns the light up a little bit. And that's took me, I'm used to it now. But these stage lights that we needed because of what we do media-wise took a while to get used to. These things are right in your face, but they give us more light. And the more light that comes in exposes things, right? So, as that light exposes me to me, then I can say, Oh, God, I see what you see. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm ready to do something about that, right? So, that's what this journey's about. This journey's about me being clothed with righteousness and that same righteousness running through the fabric of my life. And I wish I could scream this to every church in the world. The number one job of the Holy Spirit is not to teach us prophecy, although that's part of his job, show us things to come. The number one thing the Holy Spirit wants to do in all of us is to conquer us so that my whole life can be for the glory of God. Not 60% of it, not 68% of it, but all of it. And that's what this journey is about. So that, I love the way that's said here. He said, We've been, uh, by the will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And then he says in verse 14, by the one offering, he's perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's us. We're being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us that after he has said before, this is the covenant that I will make... Uh, With them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts. See, that's what they... Have you ever been in a situation in your Christian experience and you didn't know everything in the Bible, but you just, you could tell something wasn't right? One of the best examples I have of this is, um, he's in the satellite, Jesse. Some of you have heard me talk about Jesse before. Jesse was into the a big guy in the drug culture years ago and the Lord saved him and he's been saved for like 26 years now. And he's, uh, but he said he hadn't been saved very long, maybe like just three or four months. And he was, he had turned his back on that culture and had to make an honest living, <laughs> you know, and he uh, changed his whole life. He was coming down the stairs. He slept upstairs, he's coming down the stairs and he looked right when he come down the stairs, he said, I had a mantle there and there were, all kinds of figurines of wizards and warlocks and witch stuff that I'd collected over the years. And he said, I hadn't read anything in the Bible about that yet. But he said, as soon as I saw that and my eyes were, he said, I knew that it wasn't right. He said, I just knew it. And that's how, that's what happens in the new covenant. The Holy Spirit just starts working in us. He know, we we start sensing things. We start using our discernment. And he said, then, of course, he's an avid Bible reader. And he said that, uh, he said he found it in Exodus. You know, he started digging around and he found it because he knew his spirit was telling him that ain't right. Even though he hadn't read it, his spirit was already working. See, I had an experience like that with, with somebody in the last three weeks that got born again. And I heard some stuff come out of them and I thought, You don't even, you've not even read that yet, but that's the spirit at work, see? And that's what happens. The Lord, the Lord works in our hearts. He puts his laws in our hearts. And he says, he says, I'm going to write my laws on their hearts that he adds their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Whoa, that's the best news in the world, right? It's the best news in the world. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. So you don't need a new offering. It's gone. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. I want you to think about this. How many of you all have sinned in your life? <laughs> uh, let me put it. How many of you all have not sinned? <laughs> Please don't raise your hand. Please. No, I'm telling the audience, nobody's raising their hand. There. Uh, uh, if God is willing to sacrifice his son for the worst thing you and I have done and everything else besides that. He's on your side. You can come to him with a heart full of assurance. If he's willing to go that far, if he's willing to hang his son to a tree to forgive the worst things we've done, he's on our side. He's on our side. And we should always strive to be on his side in every issue. And that time has come for us to prove our allegiance to God, for us to stand with Israel. This is one of those times. We're there. You're not going to be loved because the world's going to turn more and more against Israel. I don't know if some of you have seen some pictures. I'm sure everybody has. I don't know how they're going to go back in Gaza and have anything anyway. And, and time they go in. that Of course, the Bible says Gaza is going to be desolate. It's going to be wiped out. Do you know not one soldier and not one Israeli lives in Gaza? They weren't over there <laughs> harassing them. In fact, many of the Gaza, people from Gaza were coming into Israel and working. Did you know that the king of Jordan paved his palace driveway with tombstones from Jewish holocaust people now he's dead now but he paved his whole drive and did you know this is a fact did you know that he needed open heart surgery and had his driveway paved with the jewish tombstones and israel let him come to israel and get his open heart surgery anyway that's how good they've been to those people over there they just want peace so here's our chance and i'm not saying israel's perfect Israel turned their back on God. They've had a lot of trouble. You look at World War II and all that. But now's the time where God's bringing this thing to an end. And we better be standing with it. It's our chance to side with God. None of us are perfect either. But we we can certainly stand where God's at. And he says, I'm going to remember their lawless deeds. Remember no more. And he says, therefore, brethren, having boldness, enter in here. Because you have this full assurance of faith. Our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's a good word. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. And that's a prophetic word there. He says you guys need to be getting together more as you see the day coming. And we certainly can see the day coming. And he said there's going to be a movement out of the church. People are going to be walking out. See that? That's all contained right there. He said, Don't do not uh not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. So some are the ACLU has a what they call being debaptized. That you can actually Bring a law. They've took lawsuits against churches to, to and and they call it. I forget being de baptized. I don't know how you go through the drain, come back out dry on the other side. But anyway, and some people are suing the church for the money they've given them over the years and all that kind of stuff. It's it's horrid what's going on in the name of non-religion. But he, Paul told us, or the Holy Spirit telling us that's how it's going to be. But exhorting one another, so we need to encourage one another, uh, and so much more as you see that day approaching. So getting together and encouraging each other is going to be needful, because we certainly can see that day coming. That's where we're at. Uh, I don't want to get into so- or the Exodus 30, because it's got a bunch of good stuff. We'll, ta- we'll jump into that next week. So I'm going to let you out of class early so you can enjoy the weather outside. let's pray Father we thank you for this time we've had together we thank you for the beauty of the scripture and I I, and I think we all are reminded of how great it is to have salvation as we go through these passages in Exodus and Hebrews it's so good to be saved Lord and I thank you for the forgiveness of sins we thank you for your word in Jesus name amen